take a Bible and go there. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 12. You might remember that leading up to our text, Peter has addressed several groups of people, citizens, slaves, wives, and husbands. And the overarching theme has been imitation of Christ. If you are under the authority of others, like Jesus on the cross, have a posture of submission. And if you are over others in authority, sacrificially serve like Jesus at the cross. As we come to our verses for today, the apostle, he applies the imitation of Christ to all of us, just in a different way. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll start in verse 8 and go through verse 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, how grateful we are for your word. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would know you better. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. What is the way to happiness? It's a question that has long captivated the mind and eluded many. Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics speaks about the difficulty of having happiness. But you may think that it's not all that hard. Parents, you might believe some peace and quiet will bring me happiness. Melody and I have four kids, 18-ish months apart, and I'll confess there were days when they were younger when I thought that. Just a little bit of peace and quiet, a little bit of less noise will surely make me happy. I was a little foolish, but, but still, that's what I thought. There are others of us who might argue the way to happiness will come next year when UGA wins another national championship. Or if you are a Georgia Tech fan, the way of happiness is watching UGA lose. It could also be that happiness comes with things like good food, a good movie, a good book, vacation at the beach, wives. Happiness might be your husband doing item number 55 that was mentioned last week in the sermon, that trip to Hawaii. Or better yet, your husband just remembering your anniversary. Not October the 8th, 1998, but August the 8th. 1998. I got that right. More seriously, though, people often live as if money will make them happy. Relationships, family, 
a nice job, popularity, and reputation. They think all these and more constitute happiness. And there's no question that they can bring a measure of happiness. Here's the really important question. What does God say? He's the one who created happiness in this world. And since he did, he knows the way to the good days that are spoken of in verse 10. What is the way to happiness? A lot could be said. Just consider the response that Peter gave. First, have unity. Unity is not easily had. There can be disunity in the home between a husband and wife, parents and children. You could have a dispute at work that causes problems. And there can be disunity in the church. That's often why churches split. There's disunity. There's a disgruntled spirit among some, and so they leave. And thinking about disunity in the church for just a moment, is there ever a time when division is appropriate? Yes. Let me give you an example. In 1972, 260 congregations from the Presbyterian Church U.S. left the denomination and established ours, the Presbyterian Church in America. They did so because the Mother Church largely embraced religious liberalism. They didn't think the Bible was inerrant, that Christ did miracles, that he died to, to pay for sin, and they didn't believe that he rose from the grave. They reduced Christianity to a, a naturalistic, moralistic religion. When essential doctrines are being undermined, when ungodliness is rampant, especially in the leadership, it is right for division to take place. But that scenario is not what Peter is speaking about in this text. He directs the church to have unity because he knows what would happen if they didn't. Their lives would be filled with discord. Do you want that? Fighting one battle after another unless you absolutely have to? Of course not. I mean, it creates disunity. And disunity can make you miserable. And on top of that, it's a poor witness to a watching world. Having unity is not easy. We're sinners. Specifically, we don't all think the right way about the core doctrines of the faith. We don't show care and concern for those around us. We lack affection for our neighbor. We're prideful. All these attitudes and actions are a part of the recipe for disunity. And as one Puritan put it, divisions are Satan's powder plots to blow up religion. So then how do we have unity? How do we keep unity? Look at what Peter says. He gives what we might call five ingredients for biblical unity. Starting with verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Literally have a like-mindedness about you. Which tells us something really important. Disunity starts here. In the mind. 
And that means we need to be trained in the minds on Bible truth. So that we think rightly about the Christian faith. It's partly why sometimes, like today, we, we, we use the Apostles' Creed as our confession of faith. As Jimmy mentioned, I didn't, I didn't pay him to say that. We didn't talk beforehand. He didn't know that this was going to be in the sermon. God's providence. But the core tenets of Christianity are right there in the Apostles' Creed. About God, Christ, salvation, the church, and life after death. It's also why we use the Westminster Confession of Faith. It gives a good summary of what the Bible teaches on a whole host of topics. I encourage you to read it. Next Sunday, we'll be having a Sunday school class moving through some of the chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith. I encourage you to come, 9.30 in the morning, right across the way. I say all of this to remind you that unity always begins around truth. That doesn't mean we all agree on everything. We may vote different in a different way when it comes to elections. We may have different school choices for our kids. But our unity doesn't revolve around those things. It's rooted in Bible doctrines. Which means we don't want to compromise truth for the sake of unity. We don't want to water down the faith for the sake of unity. We want to be like-minded regarding the faith. Because that's how we start to have unity. But then Peter says, have sympathy. Because unity is centered on more than just right doctrine. It includes right practice. You know, like caring for the needs of others. Weeping with those who weep. Praying for and with those around you. Showing sympathy will promote unity. It's hard to be disunified when the prayer meeting is strong. Or when folks in the church are getting together outside of it and praying for each other. It's hard to be disunified when we are mourning with those who mourn and caring for each other. You know what else promotes unity? Peter said, have brotherly love. You probably know the Greek word that's used there. Its root is phileo. It's where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Now, this kind of love, it's a family love. Now, that not only chooses to love, but is committed to love. And there's an intensity to this love. It's determined to love despite the object. Because having unity involves loving people you might not always think are that lovable. As Christians, we weren't all that lovable to God. And yet he loved us despite us. Shouldn't we do that towards those in the church who might be a bit tough to love? Absolutely. Take a meal. Keep some kids. Offer to help clean the house. Tend to the yard. Send an encouraging card. Show love in tangible ways. 
I cannot say I have brotherly love for that person who is hard to get along with if I don't actually try to ongoingly express it. If we want to have unity and keep unity, showing love is a must. And you've got to make time to do that. You've got to sacrifice to do that. You've got to get out of your comfort zone to do that. And Peter says being tenderhearted is necessary for unity as well. We are to be compassionate. Which means we've got to be understanding of others. Remember last week how husbands were instructed to live with their wives according to knowledge? Well, here it's as if Peter is telling us to do that with each other. Know one another. And let that knowledge engender not only acts of tenderness, but a heart of tenderness. I am not only to show compassion towards you, I am also to feel compassion for you. That kind of heart will promote unity. As will Peter's last quality. Humility. Because you know this. Nearly every discord in family, work, church, or wherever can be traced back to pride. Remember in Israel's history... What happened with King Rehoboam? 1 Kings chapter 12, the kingdom was divided because he was too prideful to listen to wise counsel. Pride kills. Humility builds. Pride will kill unity in the church, but humility will build unity in the church. We are not to act like it's, gotta, it's always got to be my way. I'm always right. I know, what's, I know what's best. Consistently thinking me, me, me. That's arrogance. And it will poison unity. Instead, what we are to do is copy our Savior. Who humbled himself. By being numbered with the transgressors. By being numbered with you and me. All to save us. How can we not follow in his footsteps? Pursue humility. How do we have unity? Peter lays it out right here. It's not exhaustive. A lot more can be said. I recognize that. But like-mindedness, sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility are great places to start. Praise the Lord that we here at CPC, we know a lot of unity. But to keep it and to grow in it, we must continue in these five things. We must excel in them. Church history is littered with congregations that closed their doors because of a lack of unity. They were filled with divisive and difficult people who were unwilling to do what Peter speaks of in this passage. CPC, let that not be us. Don't be the cause of disunity. 
Have unity. Grow in unity. And, and as we do, do you know what will happen? CPC will continue to be a happy church. The more unity we have around Bible doctrines and Bible deeds, the happier we will be. And yet Peter doesn't stop here. He says that the way of happiness is not only have unity, but also bless others. You see that charge right there in the middle of verse 9. Obviously, we don't bless others in a derogatory sense, you know, where we blow up on someone, nor do we bless others in a southern sense. Do you know, you know what I mean by that? Well, bless his heart. That's just another, another way of insulting someone, just with a southern genteel about them. What does the apostle mean by blessing others? Well, we certainly could look at it from a positive perspective and say, bare minimum, it involves the five things that were mentioned in verse 8. So that to bless others includes promoting unity, love, kindness, service, and humility. And all of that's true. If we want to bless others, we seek to do good to them. We encourage them through word and deed. We minister to them. We sacrifice for them. We show real affection for them. Kids, listen to me. You can bless your parents by asking them, can I do the dishes? Can I help you fold the laundry? What can I do to help you? Children, do you think you can do that this week? Parents, you can bless your kids by being patient with them in their struggles. Church members, we can bless each other by giving a hug when it's appropriate. Serving in the nursery to bless moms and dads. Or signing up to bring snacks for the evening service. There are a lot of ways to positively bless, are we? Often what keeps us from doing so are things like fear, laziness, and selfishness, all of which suck the happiness out of life. But Peter provides another way to look at blessing others. He wants us to see this from a different angle. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Now, as we come to this, it is important to remember the context. Peter is writing to Christians who are facing persecution. They were worshiping God and doing good to their neighbor, but they were suffering for it. And it was about to get much worse. And so Peter told them, when people insult you for being a Christian... When they treat you harshly because of your faith in Christ, do not repay evil with evil. Instead, bless them. Now, let me ask you a question. 
Where do you think Peter learned this concept from? Exactly, Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ declared, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you know, Jesus practiced what he preached. Peter already told us in chapter 2, verse 23, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What did Jesus do then? As people berated and mocked him, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus didn't stick it to them. And as Christ breathed his last on the cross, he entrusted himself into the hands of him who judges justly. That's how he was able to bless others in spite of the scorn he faced. And Jesus is meant to be our model, a model for how we are to bless others. When we are mocked for being Christians, when we are ignored in society because of our faith, we are not to do likewise in return. And even when other professing Christians malign us, when they unjustly criticize us, we are not to stick it to them. In either case, the apostle says, bless them, overcome their evil with good. Remember, a kind word turns away wrath. A wise man quietly holds back his anger. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Now, is acting this way a piece of cake? Not a chance. <laughs> but Peter says in verse 9 To this you were called. As Christians, we were born again to a different ethic that doesn't let people have it who are letting us have it. That doesn't return harshness and unfairness with the same. We were born again to obey. And God commands us to obey. So we obey. I'm sure that you are very familiar with this kind of logic. Your mother told you, go clean your room. It's a disaster. In response, you said, why do I have to do that? She kindly responded to you, because I said so. Sometimes that's a really good answer. I said so. In this text, God says so. He tells us to bless others, even when they don't deserve it. And we must do it, we must do it remembering all of God's statutes are good and right. It doesn't mean we, we conclude that blessing others who persecute us will always feel good. It will not. But verse 9, blessing others will bless us. Think about it like this. 
One writer tells the story of a woman named Betsy Brown. She lived in a New England village. She wanted nothing to do with the Christian faith. She worked in a bar, cussing and swearing loudly. And she never went to church, not one bit. One day she fell and sprained her knee and the doctors told her, you're gonna have to stay off of it for a while. She was stuck at home. Obviously that irked her greatly. She was like a caged tiger, ready to lash out at any visitors that came her way. And then the local minister came and knocked on the door. He knew she wasn't a Christian, but he wanted to, to minister to her. And so after greeting her and checking on her health, he asked, is there anything I can do to help you? She snapped back. I don't think you know how to do anything except read the Bible and pray. To which he said nothing. He went and made a fire to warm her house. Boiled some water for tea. Sliced her some bread and put butter and jelly on it. Cut a piece of the chocolate cake that his wife had made for her. And he brought all of it to her. He blessed this woman by serving her. She was taken aback. The Lord used it in subsequent gospel conversations to bless her soul with conversion. And the Lord used it to bless the pastor and his wife. Because they were encouraged to keep ministering to those around them. But you know what? You don't have to be a pastor or a pastor's wife to bless others. We all can, young and old alike. Do not leave today without thinking about how you can bless others. And don't sit here checking the blessing others box, saying, I already do this, I'm good to go. It's great that you do. But might the Lord be speaking to you today to expand it? Like where Peter is focused, blessing unbelievers who revile you or Christians who are difficult for you. You have all the motivation to bless others. Jesus blessed you through his cross. He took your curse so that you would be blessed. Follow him by blessing others. And as you do, you will be graciously blessed yourself. God will kindly give you encouragement. Don't return evil for evil, but evil for good. God calls you to it. And obedience to him blesses the soul, which is stressed even more as we see how the way to happiness also includes a charge to seek holiness. Now, I know that, that, that from, from the perspective of many, 
Holiness and happiness do not go together. That's the line that the world feeds to us. Secular society paints Christianity as dull and dreary. Christianity is a fun monster seeking to stomp out all enjoyment. It's ridiculous. The Puritan William Perkins called Christian theology the science of living blessedly because he knew the happy life was the pursuit of a holy life. To show us that in verses 10 through 12, Peter quotes from Psalm 34. I'm sure you see it delineated in your Bible. It's a Psalm of David. It was written shortly after David pretended to go nuts. A Philistine leader, Abimelech, was considering killing him. But David feigned insanity. But one thing that David talks about in that psalm is verse 10. How do you love life and see good days? How do you do it? How do you live a happy life? He focuses on two things. First, have, have holy speech. You see it in verse 10? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. In other words, happiness is found by controlling what comes out of our mouths. You know James 3 and how it says that our tongues are like fire. What we say can burn down churches, marriages, relationships. Words can be dangerous. But when our speech is holy, it builds up, it comforts, it fosters joy. And you know how this works. If someone says something about you that they shouldn't have, it makes you unhappy. But, but when words heal, when those words buoy the soul, it puts a smile on your face. Holy speech makes for happiness. And then second, Peter says, have holy pursuits. Verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. With the idea being evil is staring you right in the face. It's tempting you to take its bait. Obviously, it's not presenting itself as harmful. Think fishing for just a moment. That shiny bait drops down from what seems to be the heavens right into the water. It looks so yummy. It's wiggling around, beautiful colors. You think it's great. But what you don't see is the hook. That's temptation. That's what temptation does. It presents the bait, but hides the hook. Sin is attractive. In the moment, it, it feels good. No one says, well, I guess I'm going to have to sin today. Of course not. There's a temporary delight to sin. But sin never shows you beforehand how it enslaves and ruins you. 
And so Peter admonishes, turn away, look the other direction, take that road, do good rather than evil. We could take that even a step further. Sin's toxicity is more obvious when we consider how we sin against one another. Many a church's marriages and family relationships have a tombstone that reads, here lies one whose death came by unnecessary conflicts. That's why the apostle said in verse 11, seek peace and pursue it. Their commands. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, as much as it depends on you, go hard after peace. Do all you can to overcome obstacles to peace. Die to yourself for peace. It's important for us to consider that in our own hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Didn't Paul say it is better to suffer wrong or be defrauded than to be at odds with one another? Last week it was said husbands needed to get out of the way so that wives could see Christ. Maybe that's something that we all need to receive with a slightly different nuance. For the sake of peace, get out of the way. Meaning, crucify the flesh. Seek holiness. How do we do that? Godliness is not a cinch. Fighting temptation is tough. Relationships can be hard. So how do we do it? Maybe we need to remember verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. But the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The Lord knows the pursuit of righteousness is challenging. So cry out to him to help you. Ask him to keep helping you. And, and do it remembering that he sees all. He sees your sins. Don't think you can hide them from him. But he also sees your honest struggles. That the good you want to do, you are having a hard time doing. And the evil you don't want to do, you give in to. Who will save you from this body of death? Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will help you pursue holiness. You want to know the way to happiness? Take the path marked godliness. At times it will be hard. People will push back against you. You don't want to sugarcoat it. Holiness can sting. But take that road knowing that Christ has you by the hand. And he has you by the hand intentionally. 
so that like doubting Thomas, you can feel that he was wounded for you. Let his nail marks assure you of his love and commitment. Seek holiness, no happiness. Let's pray. Almighty God and most merciful Heavenly Father, thank you for your matchless grace. Thank you for your Spirit's work in our lives. And we cry out to you asking that, Holy Spirit, you would indeed affect us. Thank you that you want us to be happy. It's not a happiness on our terms for that would not be happiness at the end of the day. So happiness on yours. You created happiness. You know what's best. So then, Lord, help us to, to have unity, to bless others, and to seek holiness. And thank you that, Lord Jesus, you have us by the hand and you will not let us go, that the way to happiness is found in holding tightly to your hand. Remind us of that again and again, we pray. For Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.